Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today are two, two guys that I've known and been working with uh, for a while, and they're just pretty fascinating. And I eventually thought, you know what, let them come on the podcast, and, and so that way everyone can enjoy their knowledge. So uh, Mahir, Danje, and Zahid uh BVG. I, it's funny. So I just said to these guys, even working with them for like three <laughs> years, I've never actually heard you pronounce your last names. I don't actually know how to do it. So I, I probably just fucked them up. But the most important thing is uh, they're the co-founders of, of Wapanda. It's it's a transportation infrastructure platform. And the idea is really to kind of transform the taxi industry to the taxi, uh, it's traditional yellow taxis, whether it's in New York or any, any place in the U.S., um, can compete with Uber and Lyft and really give the, the drivers a, a better leg up. So, guys, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really looking forward to it. Thank you. So, really appreciate it. So neither of you guys kind of grew up, you know, in the transportation sector. You guys were both kind of Wall Street hotshots. Um, walk <laughs> us through each of us, each of you, your career prior to having this epiphany about Wapanda. So, I don't know, here you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I spent uh, pretty much a lifetime on Wall Street doing uh, commodities trading. I had my own commodities trading company. Um, and I, I think when, when you're in that world, and especially in the, the market-making world, the idea is that you're looking for optimization and efficiency. And you're always trying to exploit what that inefficiency might be for, for profit. And um, I, I feel like when Zaiden and I, we got into this space, we felt like there was something that was missing, something inefficient. Yeah, same. I mean, my background is as far away from transportation as you could possibly get to start. Um, you know, 18 years on Wall Street, um, ran equity derivatives trading at Deutsche Bank uh, and similar businesses at Bank America. So very, very focused on markets. Um, and to Mir's point about efficiency, and that was kind of the draw into what we started working on here that wide open opportunity and somewhat inefficient and you know, we had a vision on how this should go right so t tell me about that epiphany because obviously mm -hmm. there was a moment that struck you guys and made you decide to change your whole lives what was it uh so i can speak for myself i um and i think this is true for both of us so it's funny when you're in public markets it's a heavy heavily regulated industry right um and as efficient as the business is and you know we used to make tons of money running derivatives trading ultimately when regulation stepped in, that was what controlled the space, right? So how we did business was 100% dictated on how regulators told us to do business, right? And then we would just maximize after that. When we looked at transportation, you know, we grew up in the, the Uber world. Uber is amazing. It does a lot of great things. But it felt disconnected to what we know a market like this should be, right? That it starts with regulation and works its way towards a product that fits into both what cities want, what regulators want, what all the stakeholders want, right? And what we saw was a very disconnected and disjoint space. And, and oddly, even though we, we really didn't come from a transportation background, the business in a lot of ways is very similar in that the optimal point and the steady state and the end state has to be this confluence of regulation, technology, all working together towards something that's sustainable. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately we felt like we both saw it uh, and, and it wasn't there yet. So here, what do you say to the argument of, okay, if if the way that traditional taxis are working is really inefficient and behind the times and everything else, just let them go out of business and just have Uber and Lyft and other ride sharing companies. Why do we even need traditional taxis? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I got to hand it to, to Zayed. He, he, had, he had always been thinking kind of uh, around the curve, around the bend and, and, he had been saying that regulatory was going to be an important feature 
And the fact that they were connected to um, the government is the reason why they, they were going to survive. And so we kind of really started digging into that idea and understanding, is that really true? So we met with different um, mayors from different towns, and, and we did find that there is a passion at the municipal level to see taxis survive, right? And, and that's when we realized that this idea of ride hailing was still kind of early that uh, Uber and Lyft had done just such an excellent job of blitzscaling um, and, and coming to market that though taxis had been left for dead, the government didn't want them to die. And because they didn't want them to die and this concept of a medallion existed, um, that it was almost their responsibility that they had to keep them around. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we very much separate the idea of taxis as a concept and taxis as executed, right? Um, and those are very, very separate things in our mind, right? So if you look at how taxis have been running on an execution level, obviously there was an opportunity for Uber to come in and dominate the space because truthfully, taxis weren't executing as they should, right? There was just a need. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I'm, I'm talking I'm familiar with that. As, 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 maybe, as maybe you've heard once in a while, yeah. right? I don't, I don't know if you've heard that or not. Um, but so we, we went to the opposite and said, okay, fine. So Great. So taxis as an execution are a real issue, right? But taxis as a concept are extremely important. And let you know, me here mention, we met with a lot of mayors. We met with a lot of regulators, a lot of city officials, whatever. Uh, and it was fairly universal every time we meet with them. They're like, look, what's your taxi plan? Right? And it occurred to us that there's a reason for it. And it's not necessarily just about that executed last leg. It's about how it actually fits into a city construct in general. Right. So taxis and medallions as a structure are super interesting, right, because it lets a city come in and regulate how last mile is going to be on a very natural level. Right. So it's not a bunch of like just laws and stuff flying around. It's a very, very prescriptive construct that says, OK, but we dictate both the regulatory, the technology, everything that goes with running last mile. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it allows us to connect it to first mile to the entire mass transit system. Right. And that was that was really what we were focused on, that the opportunity obviously existed not with the execution of taxis and saying, OK, fine, we can make a marginal change and make that work. But now we're at the precipice of all kinds of innovations coming into the space, be it you know EV and charging and autonomous vehicles, ultimately. But there's a there's a whole landscape change in terms of how transportation is going to be done and done appropriately and effectively that connects into the city as a whole. Right. And that's what we wanted to be on the forefront of. Right. So, so then this is a good segue into sort of give me the vision for if, if Wapanda were up fully operational, you guys are doing everything that you want to do. Um, what does it look like? And then if you're an average kind of consumer that uses taxi, uses Uber, uses Lyft, all that stuff, what changes for you? So we actually, we started this, um, you know, it's a company now, but it was an experiment um, at one point. And we started this experiment with the tech portion as as almost like a, an aggregation tool um, where you would see taxis side by side with all the other ride options. And I think um, that, was, that was quite eye-opening for us because in New York City alone, taxis are actually the most economical option. So uh, I think what the future 
of this space would look like, and in particular for taxis, we feel like taxis are going to be an actual important part of the ecosystem. So let's just say whatever has happened has happened till now. And, um, you know, and, and taxis are meant to live. So, and they are, and they're starting to thrive. And in post pandemic, they're just, they're, they're starting to do better than their competitors. But what, what we're really thinking about is what does the end state look like? And that end state, in our opinion, is autonomous vehicles at some point parading through, parading city by city, you know, and in New York City in particular, we strongly feel that that is going to have to come from a municipal, uh, from like this municipal uh, government chip called the medallion, that they're going to use that medallion basically for what it was used for in the past, which is to highlight the security, all the protocols, and make sure that 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 the taxi industry is exactly the way it's supposed to be based off of that chip. And so what we think is in that end state, you're going to have autonomous vehicles through taxi medallions, and you're going to have consumers using a tech app in which they're going to be able to call their car. They're going to get into their car, it'll maybe fingerprint or bio, biometrically identify them, and they'll be off on their way. There's going to be no more, no more, you know, cash, no more, the payment system will be seamless. It'll be a different type of experience. Yeah. Just real, real simply on that. Um, I think, you know, to, to, to really conceptualize it, taxis will become the last mile solution in a multimodal system for the city. Right. So right now it's a little bit. By the way, just if for, for, I think most of our listeners probably know this, but for those who aren't familiar with the last mile term, uh, so I'd ex- explain what Sorry, sorry. Right. So, so uh, it's basically that let last ride share like where it's an individual in an individual unit taking you somewhere, right? So as we know it as taxis, Ubers, um, it's going to that last end destination point. Um, so I you call it last mile. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, the, you, and, and if you think of how mass transit works right now, right? You start with a subway, which moves you and a lot of people close to where you want to go. Ultimately, there's this bus layer that takes you from potentially there or somewhere and gets you even closer. And then there's this last mile layer, which is either taxis or rideshare or something else, where it's bespoke to go exactly where you need to go for that last destination, right? Last mile. Ultimately, that should be part of first mile, right? If you're a city and you're worried about mass transit, congestion, pollution, uh, safety, all of those issues that are part of the mass transit system also are part of that last mile solution. Right. So when we say, okay, what is the end state for taxis? Taxis should be that last mile solution. Right. But they not, not taxis as executed now, taxis as a framework for where new technologies are going to come in and how they're going to get deployed. Right. So, you know, as Mihir mentioned, there's a, a huge changing landscape. There's, you know, EV is, is easily the most dominating part of the transportation node right now. Right. That things need to be clean. They need to be, you know, they need chargers and infrastructures to do it. Ultimately, that all transitions to different technologies like AV. But whether it's EV or AV, or even if it's it's the cars right now, they still need to be connected to a bigger mass transit system. The ultimate end goal is that it is the multimodal solution for that last mile. And and so here you mentioned that taxis are more economical. Tell tell me one, why is that? And two, um, 
once this whole vision, you know, comes to light, um, why won't the business model for taxis just be identical to Uber and Lyft? Sure. So I I think when Uber launched, uh, a lot of the a lot of the basis of the launch was capturing the audience, right? And they did an excellent job in in a seamless like in a seamless payment environment, uh, eliminating all consumer you know, all the consumer issues of hailing a taxi, um, and you know, and, and basically using technology to to make it a seamless transition to hop into a car. Uh, in in doing so, I think there was a lot of VC money that was spent and a lot of negative profits invested in to make this system work, blitzscaling, right? And it's worked beautifully. I think, though, the, the, they're still not turning a profit, and that's for a particular reason. Um, taxis, on the other hand, they run a different model, right? It's almost like a franchise model in which the owner pays the driver pays the owner of the vehicle right and the and the vehicle lives with an operator and the operator kind of manages that business and everybody ekes out a little bit of a profit so in that model everybody's making a little bit of money maybe not as much as they should but with the with the fares being set by the city at a standard entry cost plus per mile rate, what we've noticed is that over time, the taxi price now is less than the Uber price. And post-pandemic, because there's been an issue with acquiring drivers for Uber and Lyft as a company, yeah. you're, you're seeing that, that those fares have crept up. And, so, and, and, yeah. and it takes long, right. It, it's funny, both as, as someone knows this industry, but also just as a consumer, the network effect is not as strong mm -hmm. as it used to be. So there's longer wait times and, and higher. Exactly. Fare. Yeah, exactly. So for the reason that they've been successful and they are still successful, um, the, it, it's why taxis are surviving, right? And they're actually thriving post-pandemic is because you can hail them. I think I, I think we all wish that there was a better technology solution for them, which is what we're working on. But ultimately, cost is a huge driver for for many people in the city. So autonomous vehicles. So you guys talked about sort of the ultimate vision being mm -hmm. autonomous taxis and making the point that um, those that regulatory framework is going to have to come from municipal governments, not not from private companies or federal government or anything like that. There's sort of depending who you talk to. A, a lot of disparity between when people think we'll hit level five autonomy. You know, there are people who promise it'll be here in 12 months, and there are other people who say it's at least a decade away. Where do you guys think we are? I think uh, I think they're both right. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. So I think there is a big gap in terms of technology and implementation, right? So, you know, everything you read about and, and you see in terms of how the technology is developed is that the technology is very impressive. So there are autonomous vehicles right now driving on roads in America everywhere, right? It's not like this is a, a novel concept in terms of cars being deployed. I think where the issue is, and actually at the heart of what we're working on, is how do you translate that into implementable technology on the roads, right? So, you know, if you ask the question within five years, will we have technology that's good enough to be on the roads? 100% absolutely, because I think we're almost there now. 
So within five years, that will definitively happen. The second more important and more difficult question is, will we have technology that's implementable on a larger scale basis? And that's, that's where that, you know, that, that time frame becomes a little tricky, right? Um, what we're working on is that regulatory framework so that autonomous vehicle technology, which exists now, will be implementable and in, in a potentially a shorter time frame because that process will be very much dictated by municipalities and be governed by need-based regulation within a city framework, right? So if you, in my opinion, if you were to allow just kind of a free-for-all and say, okay, fine, you know, AV technology does not need to be connected to the current tax industry, to the current medallion structure, the current regulatory bodies like the TLC, you said, look, let's just make it free-for-all. You could have, a, you have an issue similar to what I think scooters went through where that lack of structure makes it very, very difficult to implement a sustainable solution and all the infrastructure that has to go with it and, and whatnot. I think if you start thinking about the regulatory framework first and the framework and, and everything that needs to go, the implementation becomes a lot easier. So from a public policy standpoint, if, if you guys were the TLC or the, the relevant agency in, in any given city, BACP, Chicago, whatever, um, what would the factors be to determine what the regs, uh, how the regs should work for autonomous vehicles? Kind of comparing economics, equity, access, profit, all the other stuff. Uh, I mean, it, this is uh, like it, the medallion when it was instituted and created, it was created for this purpose, right? For, for the next advent of transportation at the time was the taxi to, to take passengers and to provide, at the time, equity, you know, equity was less of an issue, but access, standards, safety, protocols, and data being shared with the municipality. Those have been core concepts that have lived in the, in the taxi unit for a long period of time. And so, as a, like, what we're trying to do is just go back to that core concept again and bring all those same things, the same regulatory elements into the new wave of what taxis will be, which is this AV portion. And, and equity is going to be important. Equity and, and access and all, all the things of why a passenger is going to feel safe traveling into an AV is going to be why it will go through a municipality. And so, so it'll be, it'll, that's why we're working with regulators directly to try and figure out what is going to, what those regulations should be. But the number one priority is that they should go through a medallion. Yeah. So Bradley, I might ask you this question because I think there yeah. is a parallel, if, you're, if you don't mind. Um, if you could rethink the scooter deployment yep. and said, okay, fine, how, how should that have gone? What, what do you think the optimal setup would have been? Because I think the EV setup will be very similar. Yeah, it's it's a good question. So um, I would say on one hand, when we did Bird, we were more collaborative with regulators than when we did Uber, right? When we did Uber, it was just they said you're not allowed to exist, and you know, collaborative would have meant just ending the company. And so instead, we fought and we won. Um, whereas with Bird, I, I think the good news is regulators 
now understand that they have to engage with technology companies. They can't just dictate whether they can exist or not. And if they do that, they will often end up on the wrong side of that campaign. Um, so the, you know, that should even for, for AV regulation be that much more promising. Um, but yeah, look, for in, in a weird way, the regulatory questions surrounding scooters, even though they're just scooters, was much more complicated than surrounding Uber or Lyft, right? Uber and Lyft were fitting into the existing system with very minor modifications, right? And, you know, people who didn't want us to exist would, would use those modifications as excuse. Oh, you can't use an iPhone or you can't set the rate this way or even, but nonsense, right? Whereas with scooters, there's a lot of very valid public policy questions. Do you drive them on the street, on the sidewalk, in a bike lane? Should you have to wear a helmet? Should you have to have insurance? Where do they get left? Who charges them? And so look at a perfect world, you would have had a couple of cities at least be thoughtful about this, put out a set of regulations, and that could have created a template for everyone else. Um, that didn't happen. Um, and look, part of the reason why you know I, I'm excited about you guys working with you guys is I don't think that'll happen on AV either, absent someone making it happen uh, from the tech world and the private sector, right? Who kind of understands politics and government. And I, and I think obviously we, we can do that together. And that, that's what we're working on. Um, you, there was a city council bill in New York over the summer or fall maybe that um, kind of helped restructure the economic value uh, of medallions. Can you explain kind of what that was to the audience and kind of why it matters? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cause it's interesting. It's, it's, it's almost kind of simple in terms of this is where, you know, our finance, world experience steps in a little bit. We really believe in the taxi market, the infrastructure, and the idea of, of how that should be implemented. Ultimately, it would not have mattered if the industry failed on its own, right? So, you know, we're looking at it saying, look, the technology in terms of the infrastructure makes a ton of sense. Medallions make sense. The regulatory connection makes sense. The taxi industry and, and how it works uh, relative to the government all makes sense, and that's the future. If there were no taxi industry to work with, the future kind of dies with it. And so we were very, very, very focused in the very beginning on how do we stabilize the market to build upon afterwards. And that's where uh, the legislation came in. Um, and ultimately, it was a recognition that there was a dislocation in the asset values associated with medallions. So medallion prices had skyrocketed. The business fundamentals didn't stay with it originally. And then obviously when Uber and Lyft came in, it exacerbated that, that rent, right? Um, so you had a situation where you had borrowers with loans that they just could not pay in terms of the monthly payments. Even though they could still drive and make money, the, the assets weren't matched with the liability. They just, the payments were just too high. But there was a core business that was still strong. And you had lenders on the other side that ultimately were left with debt with high notionals but little to no chance of getting paid back full because obviously the business and the industry really didn't connect with it, right? So, you know, we helped create this, this program where you could effectively just get all the stakeholders together and reset that bar, right? Reset it to a point where debt holders actually come out better because even though their notionals are lower, their probability of payment goes up dramatically. And you reset it to a level where drivers and, and borrowers know that the business fundamentals could actually sustain it and pay, right? Um, and ultimately, the, because both of those stakeholders are agreeing to a fair level, the city can help uh, facilitate that backstop it, be part of that process, right? So it was very, very similar to what happened during the mortgage crisis with the HARP program, 
which was you know the national program to help mortgage be financed. Similar concept that houses weren't going to zero, but the actual you know mortgage values were too high. Everyone came together and said we can reset those values. The government said, okay, if you if you participate with that, we will also be there to help the process. And and you know we thought it was very similar uh, in, in terms of a contract and something that we could implement here or help implement here. Um, how do you guys think about work from home and and it, to to the extent that the changes in behavior over the last two years become permanent, at least in some level, what does that mean for the tax industry? It seems like, at least for the subway system, it may actually be good news in the sense that an overtax system may get a little bit of a break of not having to deliver as many people to Midtown or or Lower Manhattan than usually. Um, Does it worry you from a taxi standpoint? Do you think it creates more opportunity? Does not matter? How are you guys thinking about it? So, uh, I'm a, I'm a tiny bit concerned for the MTA because usage is down and it may stay a little depressed for a small period of time. Uh, what we have seen though is that taxi usage has has gone up and the right and the taxis that are actually out and being deployed are earning more uh, on, on a revenue per car basis than they were before. And our and our thinking is because of the the model, the franchise model versus the 1099 model, that they are seeing more business because of because of the cost, right? And and the cost is a huge driver. Um, and the time, you know, the wait time is is also a huge driver. And we think that that's going to stay. It seems like most people are going to be working from home at least one or two times a week. Um, and so when they do travel, they want to travel in safety and having a taxi with a plexiglass gives them a safe mode of transportation that is more economical than their peers. Yeah. Yeah. And also think interestingly, if we do our job right and we implement this platform properly, we have the right model for a work from home world. Right. So, you know, I spent almost 20 years working on Wall Street, rushing to work every day in the mornings. And that was a very point-to-point on-demand system, right? Um, the advantage that Uber had versus a taxi was I could press a button. I know it's going to pick me up right now, and it's going to drop me off right now because I have no other time to spare, right? And that was the culture. That is a lot of what comes with the corporate culture. I think personally that if we do our job right and we integrate taxis into the multimodal transit system, it actually goes fairly fluidly with a work-from-home type setup where multimodal becomes a lot more important, right? You become a little more thoughtful at how you want to get from point A to point B. That includes different nodes. It might be a taxi directly. It might include starting with a subway, ending with a taxi. But ultimately, this integrated setup is far more suited for a work-from-home environment, right? I mean, the, the, that pressure, that time demand that, you know, I'll pay anything to get there right now, that, yeah. that's born a lot out of the, the corporate culture, which I think we're seeing less and less of. And now we're seeing more kind of interday travel and all that stuff, which I think is a more multimodal experience. Right. That makes yeah, sense. And if if I can add something, um, I mean, taxis are taxis are iconic, right? I mean, they're iconic. They're also an underdog story. And I mean, I think New York loves an underdog story. Um, and with thirteen thousand medallions versus one hundred twenty thousand FHV, it, it's just such a captive audience um, that they can thrive in an environment like this. Um, all right, so last question, and this is maybe a little out of left field, but maybe not, which is um, 
you know, eVTOL, e so uh, electronic vertical takeoff and landing, um, ha has become a more real thing in the last couple of years. And so do you think flying taxis are the real future? And if so, um, how does that impact what you guys are doing? Uh, so I'll speak for myself on that one. Um, I absolutely think that that will become a part of the transit system uh, in New York and some other cities as well. Um, you know, th for the same reason why AV will, the, the technology is there is being developed. It solves a particular need and it is more efficient in a lot of ways than what we have, right? So the, the backdrop is there for that to be one of the transportation nodes or at least a transportation node in, in New York and some other cities. I think the second part of the question is more interesting or at least is, you know, where we focus on how how that regulatory framework gets set up will be everything in terms of whether it becomes a viable solution. Um, you know, EVTOL is interesting because there, there's portions of it that are more federal, portions of it that are more state, portions of it more city based on effectively what airspace you're talking about and about landing and all that stuff. There's a ton of really complicated regulatory issues that have to be solved. There's a lot of really smart technology that has to come in to govern the infrastructure, right? So, you know, managing taxis flying in the air, make sure they don't crash into each other, make sure they don't hit people, the, the curb management portions of it, the, you know, if it's rooftop management, whatever it is, there's a really, really, really interesting connection there between a very difficult regulatory framework that once solved is super interesting and very, very interesting technology beyond just the eVTOL technology itself, but in terms of the infrastructure that needs to be sorted before it can all work. And I think what we're working on here is super, super related, right? The, you know, the, the issues, the technology, the infrastructure that needs to happen for a sustainable AV deployment for taxis on the ground is very much the leading framework for what's going to need to be developed for EVTOL eventually. Um, the steps are the same, the type of infrastructure is the same, the, the thought process, the connection with regulatory, the connection with multimodal. It's, it's in some, some interesting way, in my opinion, just an extension, a natural extension of what we're working on now. Well, Mihir Dange, Zahid Fifiji, I think I got that closer to right this time. <laughs> uh, congratulations on, on, on the vision and what you're doing. You know, obviously, I, I believe in it strongly. Uh, and uh, we'd love to have you guys back on uh, in, in a little while to talk about where it's going. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Right. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you.